So my first thing is I would love to talk about your condition. I do not know how to pronounce it. So please shed some light. I didn't want to butcher it when I said it for the first time. Well, first, I appreciate you calling it a condition because that's what I refer to it as because it would be common to call it a disease, but I hate that word so much. So I, mm. I call it a condition, uh, but it's called neonatal prodroid syndrome or NPS for short. So basically um, it's made up of two things, lipodystrophy, which is I can't gain weight at all. And Marfan's, which I found out is fairly common, uh, but the type that I have is very rare. Uh, so that part affects my eyes, my bones, and my heart. You're invited to a dinner party with Jeremy Fall. Yeah. You're invited to a dinner party. Come on, come on. I've, you know, I, I use the term disease in general. I, you know, I, I suffer from, from anxiety and, and mental health in general, depression and imposter syndrome. I call those mental, I would say illness, or I would say, I don't even, I wouldn't even say condition. It's really interesting. Cause I never, I've never thought like, it didn't occur to me to say disease. I wasn't trying to be politically correct, by the way. It's just literally yeah, yeah. naturally how it came out. Yeah. But, but that's, that's interesting. I guess, where does the, the line get drawn there? Right. So if it's, if it's was something like coronavirus obviously we call that a disease or a virus right. or whatever it is but but i never really think of like the do you does do you take offense to the word no, disease or anything no i don't take all? offense because you can't be offended by someone who doesn't know what you're offended by so it's kind of just like it's just my personal thing and you know when you share like i don't like that word then they know and you move on from it so it's not something i can take personal but it's not i mean it's not just the word disease i mean there's other words that sort of I stay away from, and I think it's just from my past and using those words in sort of a negative connotation that I just sort of stay away from. So it's not just disease. I don't like the word skinny for obvious reasons. So it's just something that I sort of just stay away from, I guess. Not stay away from, I just, I don't know. Just yeah. don't like them. Just don't yeah. want it. Yeah, no, I get, I get it. Do you ever find yourself that people are trying to pretend like they have no idea and they're trying to to normalize it in a way, because I think there is, I think the way I look at these things is normalizing something is, I mean, that's my whole podcast is based around trying to normalize mental health illness. Right. right. But I think the issue we often have with normalizing is ignoring it to, so people think that let's pretend it doesn't exist. That's what normalizing it. But do you ever yeah. feel that at all where people are like trying to like not bring it up because they're, they're nervous around you or anything like that? Yeah, but it's fun. It's fun for me. <laughs> Um, I think it's, it's the most fun around doctors. Cause I think that's where I experience it the most. I mean, it's so different now that I'm sort of a public figure, I guess that people already, a rock, know, a rock already star. know, I need you. I need I you to know. No, no, I need no, you to, no, no. I need, no, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to, I know you never say that by yourself. So I'm going to call you a rock star. Oh, thank you. Um, I just say that there's some people who know who I am. Um, and I've always said that, but I just, it's, it's different now because they, they know my background and, you know, they get it. So it's, that takes away that initial conversation, but there are, are mostly doctors who don't know who I am. And so they'll try to shy around it and they'll just say, so what other medical problems do you have? And I'll just say asthma. And then they just sort of look at me like, okay, but what else? And I'm like, that's it. I just have asthma and I use an inhaler sometimes. and. And that's it. 
And then to see them like squirm around and try to really get me to say it, um, that's always it's always fun for me. I think mostly because I also have had doctors who come in and right away they're they'll look at me and they're like, so which eating disorder do you have? Or so tell me why you aren't eating first. Or if I have my mom or my dad or anyone really, anyone else with me, they'll kind of say like, so what, why isn't she eating? Or is there something else going on that we should know about? So it's always, it's always, I guess I just play into whatever scenario I'm in. And the eating disorder thing, they just, that's come out of nowhere. They just assume right, you have an eating disorder. just from appearance. Yeah. Okay. That's, then this is, these are doctors. Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's not very promising. Um, so you've had this since you were mm -hmm. born and you discovered it when you were five, right? Yeah. Somewhere around that. Well, young age. Okay. discovering it more so me realizing it. Okay. Understanding you were different. Yeah. Because I, I feel like I grew up in these two different worlds and in one world I was normal and just Lizzie. That was my life. And I had friends and family and that's it. I wasn't different. But in this other world where people didn't know who I was, mind you, five years old, so still very young and not really understanding the full concept of how different I actually was, am, I guess. It was strange and confusing and didn't make sense because you go from this happy world of like, everything's fine, life is great, to then all of a sudden people are scared of you. And it's like, why, why all of a sudden is this happening? It doesn't make sense. Do you still feel different? Yes and no. Okay. Could, could you mind elaborating? I'm really interested in that. Yes, because obviously I look different and I'm different. But no, because I'm not. I'm 32. I, I'm self-employed. I live my life. I managed to have my own house built by myself, not by myself, but managed to do the whole process without waiting to feel like I need to be married to do this and rely on someone else to help me. I was like, I want to figure this out. So there's, there's ways that like, I'm very independent and I'm able to live my life and make my choices on my own. But on the other hand, yes, I am different because I have a very weak immune system. I look different there. I can't drive because I have vision in one eye. So there's things that like, yeah, that do make me different, but at the same time, I'm just like everyone else. And so as time has progressed you've somewhat there's somewhat been a, a better equilibrium between feeling different and you know somewhat right. normal right like as time progresses because you, you've built your own version of that within your world you know and kind of transplant that into like this world versus when you're growing up and you're trying to develop an identity it's harder to define those things that make us feel like ourselves right yeah i think growing up i was trying to make my identity like a copy and paste situation of everyone else. And then as I got older, I slowly had to figure out like, okay, that's not possible to do that. And also who would want to do that? So now how am I going to build my own identity while still feeling included with everyone else? I had no idea it would turn out like this, but it did. Do you think that that I what makes us really identify ourselves just in general? I'm not, not even just you. I'm trying to think of them on a like a more like a broader basis is it purpose is it finding our role in this world our role within our own lives is that what you think makes us who we are because i mean like ultimately and obviously appearance is 
you know, we live in this world uh, and fortunately and unfortunately the social media world where appearances is, is everything but right in terms of authenticity which seems to be the underlying thing that makes us feel like true to who we are right do you mm -hmm. think that purpose is what checks that box I mean, I think purpose is definitely a big part of it because for me, every day I wake up and I try to live out my purpose, which is, you know, helping other people, sharing my story. But at the same time, doing what I do is sort of like my own version of therapy. And I think it was different pre-COVID times because I was going out and being on the stage and telling my story, whether it was a small or large stage, that was my version of getting, getting my true feelings out and saying them out loud or writing or whatever it might be. So yes, I think that living out your purpose is a huge part of it, but I also think there are so many other things that sort of build into our identity and who we are and, and things like that. And it's not just you. And I think that's where your support system comes in, the people you surround yourself with, whether it's your friends or your family, or even if you're, if you don't have that, if you're connected with people online, whatever it might be. Well, because it sounds like you've also acquired somewhat of a the helper role too. You're trying to help other people that may feel insecurities and whatnot get through it. So you've transitioned your role instead of making it about yourself, making it about other people, which I, I very much commend you on, but who's, I guess in this process, like, do you ever feel like there's a lack of people taking care of you when you're giving to so much to other people? Well, I mean, I'd say at the beginning and the beginning, meaning when I first started telling my story. So around starting college, end of high school time period. So 18, 19, 20, I did this for me. I did it because I was on the heels of finding that horrible video and really, and doing more press and telling my story more. And a lot of headlines were twisted, more focused on she can't gain weight and blah, blah, blah. And for me at that point, what I can eat and not eat and whatever, that's just a tiny piece of my life. That's not I don't, it's not something I think about every day. And some people think like, oh, you can just eat whatever you want. Like you're so lucky. That's probably all you think about all day. And, and it's not at all. And so for me, I wanted to be able to open this little tiny window into my life where I had control and I could say, this is who I am, not what everyone else is saying. So that came in the form of starting my YouTube channel, social media and, and speaking and all of that stuff. And I was doing that for me. I knew in the process I was going to be able to help people that of course was the goal, but I was doing it because I wanted to show people who I was. And so I think my long-term plan, there wasn't really like an actual timeline, but my long-term plan was I want to be able to go out and tell my story as much as I can for myself. Next, once I feel like I was able to do that, next, I'm going to be able to be that voice for other people. So it took a few years for me to really feel like, okay, I accomplished that. I did it. Now it's time for me to be the voice for those who don't know how to use their voice or don't feel as though they have one. So it took time for me to be able to get there. Was this always the kind of the plan for you? Because I mean, this is like you're an insanely emotionally intelligent to the point where it seems, and I look, I know it's authentic because obviously like this has to come from somewhere, but was this yeah. always kind of trajectory or did you have a like a tipping point where it started to, to go this way? Because everything you're saying makes sense. Absolutely. But in practicality, like I can't imagine 99% of people at 32 getting to this point. I mean, telling my story was never the goal. 
it was never in mind. It was never the dream of what I wanted to do, but I, I owe it to my parents because I feel like they started this foundation from literally day one when I was born and doctors saying she's not going to do anything or accomplish anything. And they were kind of like, we don't care. We're going to love her and raise her to the best of our ability and give her the best life we can. And so for me, I feel like that's sort of always been instilled in me, this idea that no matter what you put your mind to, you can do it as cheesy as that sounds. And so for me, not telling my story was never a thing because I would always, when I was younger, I would always sort of hide when we were out in public. If I noticed people staring or pointing or whatever it was, I would easily hide behind whoever I was with and just wanted to avoid the whole situation in general. I didn't want to explain my situation. I didn't want any of it, which is so different from what I do now. Um, but I knew that I wanted to continue to do whatever it was I put my mind to. So I remember when I was young, I, I specifically remember, um, I think it was my dad who said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a waitress. And they were kind of like, why would you want to be a waitress? You can be anything. And I said, well, because I want to serve people. And so I think helping people has always been a part of my greater purpose and has always been something that I was meant to do uh, since I was young, but I didn't know that. And so I wanted my goal, my first real goal in life and plan in life was to go to college to major in computer engineering. And it's always been such a passion of mine. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what I pictured my life doing. And I was set to go. Then speaking came into my life and that sort of just opened a whole different world for me completely. And so going out and, and figuring these things out along the way, I think I learned these tools of how to view the world in a certain way, be myself in a certain way. But again, my parents come into play because I was still growing. Yes, I was a teenager. Yes, I was, you know, 18, 19, but I still had a lot to learn. And I was still encountering a lot of negative things that were really sticking to me at the time. And a lot of it was my parents sort of guiding me and saying, the only way you're going to be able to move forward with helping other people is if you, number one, start forgiving the people who were horrible to you. And number two, really start taking whatever it is that you're doing as a responsibility and as a gift and an opportunity versus something that you have to do. Yeah. So, so basically turning, I mean, look, that's, that's a way of looking at it, looking at everything in life, right? It's just right. people having people, I think people know that by being able to practice it is a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, when you, when everything you're saying seems very logical, very pragmatic, but applying it to real life is really hard. I mean, I know you say, because this comes naturally to you, but I feel like a lot of people, I mean, you have, you have kids that, and you were, you were bullied as, as a kid, right. you have kids that are seven that are killing themselves for being bullied. Yeah. And we're in a time now where bullying is much more seriously taken than it was when you and I grew up, right. like grew up, right? So you you were going through a time where it was almost acceptable to bully, it was acceptable to call people names, like you'd get a slap on the wrist. Now it turns into a GoFundMe, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like a whole different year. So you really went through it when it was harder. I am really fascinated by how you were able to, to create so much emotional intelligence, which when you're a young age, I mean, I'm assuming you have amazing parents, but I think it takes more than that. Cause you see a lot of people that are, that go through things. Um, and it's not about better, you know, better or worse, but the, that go through similar things 
and aren't able to come through them, I always wonder what it is in people's minds that makes things click a certain way and not for others. I'm so curious to know what it is in your brain that made this so clear I mean, of a path, even if you didn't have the answer since day one, that it came to fruition. I'm also very, very stubborn, very stubborn. So if I get an idea in my head, if I say I want to do this, it's all I can think about and I will figure out a way to do it. So I think being told like you should kill yourself or you're disgusting or all these horrible things in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not disgusting. I want to achieve all of these things and sort of prove you wrong. And so I think every negative thing that I was told or thing that I read, it was sort of like, a, I dare you, or I bet you can't do this. And in my mind, it was, okay, now watch me do this. And so I think that was a big part of me continuing to, I guess, accomplish each thing because I mean, it never in a million years would I think I would have the opportunity to be speaking all over the country, out of the country, or writing four books or doing all of these things. So it was just one thing at a time that I sort of had to prepare, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Like it, I'm making it sound like it was so like, I wanted to do this and all of these things happened and it was so great. And now I have this platform. It wasn't easy. And I had to struggle behind the scenes because you deal with, yes, this is great, but then you also deal with, there are more people who are knowing who I am. So there's more people who are getting access to my story. And so, yes, that was hard and blah, blah, blah. It's what I signed up for, whatever. But as I got older, as I had more opportunities, for example, doing my TED talk in 2013, a lot of people think that was my first ever speech, but it wasn't. I've been speaking professionally since 2008, 2009. So I had been speaking forever at that point. And this was a speech that I did in the beginning of December, 2013. I usually take the month of December off. It was my last speech. I did the whole speech. I made it all up as I was going because I don't plan ever. Uh, planning freaks me out. So I just went up there and I completely just told myself, pretend you're speaking to a friend. I've never spoke on, my speech was titled, how do you, ended up being titled, how do you define yourself? But I've never spoken on that before. I have no idea where it came from. It just sort of came out. And so I did the speech. I was like, that was fun. I went home, ordered Chinese food, called it a great year. That was it. And within a couple of weeks, it was posted online and went completely viral unexpectedly and took my career to an entirely new level, which was exciting. It was overwhelming. It was all of the things you can imagine. And right after that, my life went from pretty being, you know, busy. I just graduated college. So it was like, you know, exciting time, but like also like, okay, what am I going to do next? There's no rush, whatever. I was actually planning to take that year. 2014, I was going to take it easy and not do much. Uh, but it just went from zero to 60 in what felt like 0.5 seconds. And I was traveling and working and filming my documentary all at the exact same time to the point for months I was traveling and I would come home for one to two days to unpack and repack got to the point where I was coming home. And on the days I was home, I was writing my fourth book. So it was just nonstop. But all of a sudden, from January to end of September, beginning of October, my schedule stopped. And I absolutely hit rock bottom for the first time in my life. 
and it was terrifying and it was awful. And at the same time, I'm still newly on this new platform. So I'm still having to live up to, I'm so inspirational, I'm so positive. So I was posting things, happy things while I'm crying as I'm posting them. So it hasn't always been this easy emotional journey. It's It's been rough. Do you suffer from imposter syndrome at all? No. You know, no. and you're familiar yeah, with yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I, I struggle with tremendously. So I'm always curious because you're talking about posting these things and, and feeling the opposite way. I'm also curious, why why aren't you, you said you weren't a planner. Why is that? It gives you anxiety to plan things? Um, because I feel like it's just, I look at my speeches more as a conversation. And for me to be able to go out and say, this is like, if I write out my speech word for word, I would be panicking the entire time. Like, oh, I messed up or, oh, I forgot this, or, oh, where am I going next after this? So in my mind, when I plan for speeches, I know the topic and I tell myself three points of how I'm going to get to the goal of what I want for each speech. Okay. And would you, would you consider yourself to have like a big ego? Like how, what's your, what's your ego? Like, that's also another thing that fascinates me. Cause I feel no. like for what really, cause I feel like for what we do and being driven, we have to have some level of ego. No, I don't at all because I still see myself. All of this started when I was 18 years old and in my little bedroom at my parents' house and I was still in high school. Everything started that day when I said, when I Googled how to be a speaker and built my first website that day, I still might see myself as that. I can go and do all of these great things and I meet incredible people and have incredible opportunities. It's so great. But at the end of the day, I go back home and I have to clean up after my dogs or I have to mop or clean or do whatever. And so I never see myself as anyone who is someone greater or that I deserve anything higher than anyone else. Here's a perfect example. A few months ago, I got new couches because my dogs had messed up the couches that I had and I had no boundaries. I don't like saying no to them because they're so cute. And I learned the lesson the hard way. I had to get new couches. So my my downstairs is, is an open floor, floor plan. So I ended up putting a big dog gate that separated the living room and the kitchen. And the dogs were going to have to stay on the kitchen side. I get the new couches and I didn't sit on them for about two weeks. Because I felt like the dogs would think that I was better than them if I got to sit on the couches and they didn't. So I stayed sitting and my family thought I was out of my mind, but I stayed sitting like on the bar stools or on the steps or whatever it was. So I could stay on their side because I didn't want them to think I was better than them. So is that, is that a self-worth? Like what, what is, what is that? Cause that seems like another level. Like that's, that's extreme. I don't know what it is. I just felt like I need to be with them because I don't, and it's not just with my dogs. I just don't want anyone to ever think that I'm I'm better than them or I deserve more than them. Now I have a question for you. This is so what I've I've noticed is that and I feel like we're we're like very similar in multi in different ways, although I, I have a bigger ego than you, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um I, I think what I what I've noticed is when you're confident and driven, and you and I we assume you're both of those. You know, you really push full force, you grow, you become, and, but as you become successful, 
basically anytime I've been more and more successful, I've been afraid that people would think I'm a douche. So I've had to go over the top to show that I'm not. And it's similar to this dog situation, except I don't do it in my behind closed doors. I do it in public. <laughs> yeah. So is that what it is? Like, are you, because you, you, with what you do, I think you're very highlighted and very like praised, right? Like when people are seeing your video, your tech talk, like, and I know that's making you probably cringe, yeah. but you're very praised. People are like, they're, they worship you. You've battled something. You're stronger. You've grown out of it. You've grown. And even me, like I'm very like in awe of you. And I feel like, do you get this like cringy feeling like, uh, do not do that to me. I'm not that special. I'm just Absolutely. like, okay. And is it part of wanting to normalize yourself in general and not be highlighted as different in any way in your life that to the point of even when you're successful, you don't want to be. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I don't think so. I don't think it's that. I mean, that's no one's ever put that to me in that way. And that makes a lot of sense, but no, I don't, I don't think that's it. I just come from a very, very humble family. And I feel like a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm very humble. Like I'm very down to earth, whatever, but it's just how I was raised. And for my parents, I think from the beginning of me starting to put myself out there and not just my parents, my, my siblings as well. They're both adults, my brother and sister, I'm the oldest. Um, and my group of girlfriends who I've had since I was 12 or 13 years old to have them keep me so grounded from the time I started all of this, it sort of just stayed with me. And for me, I've been very, I've been very aware of what I do when exciting things happen. If I get really excited about meeting a certain celebrity or really excited about a big opportunity, I can tell them and we're super excited about it. And then it's kind of like, okay, that's cool. Have fun. So what are you doing later? Like, it's just something so that's just a part of our lives and it's, it's my job and it's, and it's what I do, but yes, it's, it's who I am, but I'm still just Lizzie and I'm still just doing whatever. I mean, it's kind of, it's like this. One of my best friends is a baker. She started her own baking business. So she goes out and she bakes, delivers stuff, delivers cookies and cakes and whatnot. And so for me going out and speaking to 20,000 people in my eyes is the same as her going to deliver a wedding cake. So it's like, this is your job. This is what you did. Mine is just on a bigger scale and that's it. So it's like, good job. You did this. So what's next kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and look, my background is in building restaurants. And that's why when you said you want to be a waitress, I mean, I'm glad you, you did not become a waitress, but I can see the, <laughs> the I can see the parallel. Cause like my whole thing was always wanting to take care of people. I'm in hospitality for a reason. Right. I love taking care of people and, and whatnot. Right. I, I do. I do completely see that. I mean, look, I think to a certain extent, every job is, is in a way, you know, cause and effect. It's something that we have to deliver. And no matter if we're delivering to an audience of 20,000 people on TV to a hundred million people or selling a t-shirt for a credit card, like it's all, you know, cause and effect, right? And there's a product. It's all relative. Are, it's yeah. all relative. So I, I completely agree with you. I mean, it's just, I guess it's fascinating that you have managed to do all this despite, and, and, I, and I, the way I look at it too, is like, I'm sure people are, you know, quantify what you, what your, your condition as obstacle, but I get, I wouldn't even see it as an obstacle. And I say that very e Like I say that easily, obviously, cause I can't relate. I can't say that I know right. how you feel at all. I do, I do not have the same condition, but yeah. the way you're explaining it is like, 
no matter if the ups and downs, like it's never been an obstacle. It's just, it's been, you've grown with it and it's been on the side of you. It's a part of you, but it's never been in front of you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's my point. And that's what I go out and speak about because yes, you can have not my condition. You can be in a wheelchair. You could be fully blind. You cannot have a physical difference. You could have a different background. You can have something that people don't see like anxiety or depression, but it doesn't have to be all of you. It can be a part of you. And for me, it's sort of like, I'm using what I've gone through as an example of this could easily have kept me indoors. This could easily have stopped me from doing anything, but I didn't let it. And it's possible to be able to do this. And you just have to find ways around whatever it is that stops you or the little bumps in the road. And obviously I have them and I have to figure out how to do things and, and whatever, but it's, it's so possible to be able to make what you feel can be your downfall and turn it into a little piece of you. That's just a part of you. And you bring it with you. I mean, look, talking to you for 30 seconds, like that all disappears like completely. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I mean that completely genuinely. Like it is something that like vanishes. And the only reason why I keep bringing it up is because I'm fascinated about digging in deeper into it and not just be like, yeah. Oh, you have a condition. Let's move on. Like what's on your playlist. Like I'm interested in really like <laughs> that deep yeah. shit, you know, but like yeah. 30 seconds in, like it's completely goes out the window. It's like completely forgotten. I mean, that's why you've achieved that success is because you exude something that's very different and unique. And it's not, has nothing to do with your appearance. It's what's inside. So yeah. I can, I can totally say, and that makes sense. It's having it not be an obstacle. I really do have a question though, because, and I know you're very, you seem very sweet and kind. So I could, I probably would have different reaction to this, but in 2006, the world's ugliest woman video, you were 17, mm-hmm. right? That must've been a massive point in your life. I'm sure you're probably sick of people bringing it up, but. It's a me, part like, of me. It's a part it, of me. Well, I was going to say, I, so, I talk about, yeah. So that in my eyes, like if someone said that, like my, you know, I, I look like I gained five pounds, like that would be an obstacle for me. Someone calls you right. the world's ugliest woman. And you see that as something that's a part of you and you're young and still developing. How did, and, and I'm assuming, and I shouldn't assume, but that wasn't like something where you're like, Oh, cool. I'm going to move on. I'm sure that, <laughs> no. that struck you very hard. Of course. Oh, it hit me. It you're hit human. me so hard, harder than I think I portray. Um, and I think it's because I've learned how to overcome it. And I, it's hard for me to even go back to that mindset of when I found it because it was so horrible. Um, I will say when I hit rock bottom a few years ago, it was worse than when I found the bad, I call it the bad video. So um, when I found the bad video, I was 16, 17 years old. So put your mindset in that age when you're in high school and it's already tough. Now put add on the layer of dealing with not looking like everyone else and not able to wear what everyone else is wearing because it didn't fit add on being a, I was a cheerleader and it was great. And I, I did it because I loved it, but also because I wanted to sort of put on this outside armor of I'm just like everyone else, but going to football games on Friday nights and having kids line like the, the, you know, the railing football games, mm-hmm. yeah, like, of course. just like this, having kids line up and that are like pointing at you while you're standing there. So it's like, I don't need all these layers. And then all of a sudden you feel like during this time, you figured out a way to sort of mentally maneuver everything that was going on. And you find a point where you're happy and you have great friends and you're enjoying the best of high school before you're going to have to go to college that's where I was in life when I found it. Things were like looking up. 
And then all of a sudden I find this video and it's like everything that I had worked for confidence wise, self-esteem wise, everything was just completely knocked down and thrown away. And you start realizing that like, oh, there's not just a few people that have seen this. There's over 4 million people that have seen this. Okay. Well, sort of take a deep breath, take that in. You look at the comments and you think, okay, there's, there's not a few comments. There's thousands of comments. Okay. Let me start reading these. Kill yourself. Your parents should have aborted you. You need to put a bag over your head when you go out in public because people will go blind from seeing your face. Horrible things. And then you think, okay, let me just find this one person who's going to stick up for me. Who's like, you don't know her story. She's just a kid, blah, blah, blah. And you don't find it after going through page a page a page of comments and you don't find one single supportive comment. And so I went from finding the video and being really confused to then being really angry to then being absolutely devastated and bawling. And I was so lost in the moment of like, what is happening that I forgot my mom was home at the time. And so she had walked into my room and saw me crying. And instantly I was like, I feel so helpless in this moment. I can't, I wanted to instantly protect my parents because if I felt so helpless, how in the world are they going to feel? And so she came in and she realized what was going on and was super upset. And I laid on the floor and I curled up in a ball and I just wouldn't get up. And I was just crying and crying and crying. And she called my aunt over. My aunt came over. They were, they didn't know what to do. Um, a little while later, my dad came home from work. We told him the situation. And he, of course, was my dad and, you know, super supportive and told me that no matter what, I was going to have to forgive whoever posted this. I still don't know who posted it, but still forgive them and forgive the people who were saying horrible things. And it was just like, are you insane? I'm never like, how are you? They're saying this about your daughter, me, I'm right here. And you're telling me I, I need to forgive them. And so that's sort of like what that day, that day was like. Wow. No. And I'm, uh, I'm curious. Did you ever consider suicide at all? Was that something that ever crossed your mind? No, not then. No. Not then, but there's something then. that has, but that has come up. When I hit before. rock bottom. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say suicide, but suicidal it was, thoughts, suicidal it was, thoughts. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Yeah. Well, there, I think there comes a point in, well, everyone's brain is capable of going to that where there's, yeah. where, where it's just, you know, it's, it stems from a lack of seeing a light at the other time. It stems from a lack of being able to problem solve in that moment. I think that we right. tend to find an escape and that's always like the most, you know, well, drastic of course, but the, the most probable escape or possible escape rather. Um, yeah. So in all this, and you were raised Catholic, right? So how does, how, what does the role that faith plays in your life throughout this whole process? Oh, it's, it's number one. And it's, and it's why my dad told me I needed to forgive them because forgiveness is such a huge part of our uh, beliefs and our faith. And at the, I mean, when you're in it, when it's horrible, you don't see any other answer than being angry and being, you know, super upset. And so he, he told me you're going, there's going to be a day where you can forgive them. And there's going to be a day where you realize what you've learned from this 
And we don't know when that's going to be, but it's going to happen. And of course, I didn't believe him at the time. But as I got older, I really started realizing that if I hold on to this anger and this embarrassment and the words and whatever it was, I knew I was going to allow it to become a part of me. And I didn't want it to because I knew it was wrong. And I knew all of that wasn't who I was. And so the only way I could let that go was through forgiveness. And yes, it was a part of my faith. And and yes, it was something that I've I've grown up with and I've learned and I've known and, and all of these things. But when you're put in a position like that, it's sort of when it really, really tests you. And is this something that you were actually going to be able to put into play in your life? How do you transition from that into the rock bottom? Because I know that's something that's come up a lot. So how is that rock bottom different than than a scenario like the bad video or or anything else? Um, my official diagnosis uh, played a big part of it because I wasn't officially diagnosed until I was 25. Um, and it was completely unexpected. I had been going to see genetic doctors in my entire life. Um because I think my, my, my parents more so really wanted answers. And it wasn't because I was, I was sick all the time, but it wasn't because there was something like really wrong with me and we need to know right away, like what's going on. And so I would have to go see genetic doctors a lot. And, and I hated it. I hated going because it was just tests after tests, doctors staring at me, needles, x-rays, whatever. And nothing different was coming up every time we would go. And I saw lots of different ones and I got so many different diagnoses. um, But I didn't, where I would fit a lot of the category, but I wouldn't fully fit it. So it was like, oh, you have this. Oh, wait, no, you don't. So I kind of got to a point where my parents were like, it's it's up to you. Do you want to take a break? And I decided to take a break. So I took a break for a few, few years of going to see doctors. And I realized that my mom really was sort of itching to go back. And so I agreed. And we went to see a, gen- a new genetic doctor in Houston. And he did, he decided he was going to go through every single bit of my DNA and, and go through that. And so all that required was for me to do blood work. And I thought, okay. And everyone has known whether it was my team that I was working with, whether it was my family, everyone knew I will not listen to a diagnosis, unless my doctor calls me in and sits me down and looks me in the eye and says, this is what you have. It's been a known thing. So I did the blood test, whatever time goes by, I do the TED talk, I start traveling. In 2014, I turn 25 in March, fast forward to the summer, and I am speaking in Barcelona. And I'm with my mom and the director of my documentary. And we're filming whatever on our last day, we're going to lunch and they both look really concerned. And they tell me that my doctor called and said, when we go back home, he has my diagnosis. And when you are a question mark for so long, your whole life, and you've built this persona that's out there as the girl who can't gain weight, why? We don't know, but here's her story. You built this persona and you live this life as like, I'm a question mark. I'm the undiagnosed girl to all of a sudden, you're not a question mark anymore. And when you go back home, you're going to be told 
something that could, in my eyes, change my whole life. First of all, what is, what is the diagnosis? Like, what is that going to mean medically? Second of all, am I not going to be inspirational anymore because I now have this title? Like, what, what is this going to mean? Mind you, I have this weird thing with titles because I'm undiagnosed and all of a sudden I'm the world's ugliest woman. Now, all of a sudden, what am I going to be next? So it was weird. So I go home, we go, we get the diagnosis. I'm told, uh, you know, this is the name. It affects your eyes, your bones, your heart, the heart being the scariest to I now run the risk of my aortic valve expanding to the point where it ruptures. And there's a, a there's a high risk that you don't get to a hospital in time. And so scary, it's scary. And so I find out all this stuff, but I'm so busy that it's like, okay, thank you. What am I doing tomorrow? And that goes on for months. So I don't process anything at all. So once my schedule stops, not only am I I lived with a roommate during college. I, you know, learned to be independent and whatever. Graduate college, come back home, living with my parents, ready to be on my own again. I get my first apartment on my own for the first time ever. So I'm home. My schedule stops. Uber wasn't around at the time, so I couldn't just go anywhere I wanted. All my friends had stopped inviting me places because I was never home, which I understood. My my family was at work and school, so they were busy. So after a few days of rest. I was alone. I had no dogs. I had nothing. And I was alone with my thoughts and anxiety medication after having to have an emergency landing on a flight and freaking out. And I knew it would just like knock me out and let me sleep. And if I'm sleeping, I'm not thinking. And so I was trying to process how insanely lonely I felt while at the same time I wasn't traveling because. A movie was literally being made about my life to show in movie theaters. I was getting the biggest speaking events I've ever, I could have dreamed of. I was about to start working on my fourth book. Everything incredible was happening to me, but I was so lonely and so sad. And finally starting to process my diagnosis after months and realizing it was the whole heart thing and thinking, if my heart, if we're just going to be waiting for my heart to go, I don't want to put my family through that. I don't want to put my loved, one th loved ones through that. So what if I just have a glass of wine and this anxiety medication and I can just go to sleep and be fine? And I got scarily good at hiding it. So good at hiding it. But I... My sister finally realized something was off and found out and my family found out and all that stuff. But that's what happened. <laughs> it was pretty, it was bad. Why do you think a diagnosis would do that? I mean, I'm trying to put myself obviously in your shoes, which is, is difficult too. I mean, I've, I've had different diagnoses before for different things, right. but I try to understand like, cause this is something you lived with for 25 years that you, was there any sort of of um, comfort with the question mark? Is that what yeah. was now, what was the comfort behind it being a question mark? Because clearly you knew that there was something, but you didn't right. know what it was. It, it wasn't like finding out you have terminal cancer or something you had no idea. Right. And then, so what, what would you say would be the difference there? I think growing up for so long, I was so uncomfortable with the question mark. 
And it was something that was so negative. And I, I still to this day, well, now I can't obviously, but I still to this day, I wouldn't, I stopped going to amusement parks. Um, going to the mall was a mental thing for me because I had to prepare going to grocery stores. I would have adults who were following us down the aisle so they could stare. And so it was always something. And I finally got to the point where I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know. I don't want to say I don't know who I am, but I, you know, I don't know. I can't explain this. I can't explain why I look different. And so whatever, that's me. And I found comfort in that. And I was able to sort of grab onto that sort of like a safety blanket. And it's just like, okay, I accept it. I don't know what this is. It's so great. And all of a sudden that safety blanket was being taken away. And it's sort of like, am I going to eat? either be now this period at the end of a sentence that's not exciting and it's nothing or am i going to try to figure out how to be an exclamation point so was it was it the diagnosis that just made it finally real yeah i think it was the diagnosis that made it real and i think it was a combination of just being so extremely exhausted from working the most i've ever worked and you know having to live on this whole other level so I mean, it was, it was definitely a combination of things. And was there maybe like something about fearing death and the, the heart side of it being like at any moment could rupture? Was there something about this like ticking clock or fear of a ticking clock rather? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean the best, it's actually so good that we found out because now we have a game plan in place and I have, you know, checkups and everything's great. Uh, but it was more just finally thinking about it because it was just put into the back of my mind for so long. What anxiety meds were you on by the way? I'm curious. I don't remember. I don't remember the name. Oh, you're not, you're not on them anymore. No, 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 no. Oh, great. And I'm, I'm on, I'm on meds as well. So I'm always curious what other people take to see if it's, uh, it's effective. Did, did they help you at all? No. I mean, I, I just needed them when I was flying over water because mm. <laughs> I would freak out. Um, it's like Xanax. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it wasn't that. I know it wasn't that. I don't remember the name, but um, anyway. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, so yeah, cause I'm, I'm always curious because medication seems to work for a lot of people seems to not for others. It's just so personal. And I'm, I'm always curious. I'm very pro medication yeah. personally, but I know a lot of people aren't. So I just, it, it always fascinates me how they affect people differently. Yeah. To me, that makes sense. That rock bottom, that's very interesting because I, I never would have thought, it makes a lot of sense when you explain it, but I never would have thought that a diagnosis after 25 years would be, mm. I can imagine that early on would be something. Like if I was diagnosed with something, you know, life-changing today, I would I would be floored. Right. But, you know, it's it's over, over time, especially when you're so public about it and your fourth book, you know, movies and everything. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. And do you, do you now have comfort with that now, now that it's, you've turned the page and does the diagnosis, is it still painful for you to know? Do you still wish it was a question mark? Or oh no, really? no, 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 no. Okay. I'm fully okay with it now. Absolutely. I think it was just really, it happened at a time where my life was very unexpected and on a whole different level. And I, so I think just all of that was just a combination for a bad storm. And so now it's just like, now it's just like, oh, whatever. I thought I was going to have to talk about, like, I thought this was going to be like what I have to talk about all the time is now like this is my diagnosis and whatever it might be. But I like, I rarely talk about it and it's not, it's not by choice. It's not anything. It just sort of, it's like, okay, this is what you have. Okay, let's go. 
And so I think if I would have reminded myself of that a long time ago, it would have helped, but I just wasn't, I wasn't going to see that. How, how did you deal with the pandemic? Like mentally, did it excel you or did it slow you down? Oh man, it's been a roller coaster, um, an absolute roller coaster of emotions. I obviously have a very weak immune system. And so it was very scary. Uh, and I knew my, my entire 2020 was already planned and I was going to be traveling and gone and speaking and everything was set. And all of a sudden within a few days, all of that was just kind of done and having to switch to online. So I used to have a really big team that sort of did my speaking, my writing, then just everything in general. Uh, and now I'm doing it on my own. And so I think that it was just the added stress of, okay, now I need to figure this all out one by one. And so that was stressful and hard, but for a few months I was fine because I was doing what everyone else was doing. And I was finding random hobbies to stay busy. I was painting walls and rooms. I was building new furniture. I was changing things around. So that kept me busy. But then once that stopped, it was kind of like, okay, I'm over this already. And I had to change my mindset and really, really realize that I'm, even though all my work changed, I'm still able to work from home. And a lot of people are able to work from home, yes, but there were a lot of people who weren't and they had to go out and put themselves and their families in danger. And so I had to really, really be aware and actively change my mindset because otherwise I would have just gone down a dark hole and felt horrible. Yeah. And especially being in Texas where it seems like things are a little bit more loose, like we talked about earlier. Oh my, well, besides my brother, who's in his senior year of college, my, my parents and my sister are have all been frontline workers since everything started. So they have been having to go to work actually at work this entire time. And oh, wow. so it, it was hard for me because I was scared for them. Oh, so this is something you all experienced at a very high level from day one, especially if your family's oh, yeah. immersed and you obviously are at risk. Yeah. And so my sister been... lived with me at the time. So oh, it wow. was, we had to be extra careful whenever she would come home because we would have to disinfect everything wipe everything down. And so it was having to be very aware and very cautious. So I was able to see both sides of me having to stay home and dealing with that, but also knowing what it's like to live with someone who's having to go out there and work every day. Did you feel this insane need to try to help as many people as possible during this, Did like to try to become a caretaker? Um, more so in the fact that I not in the sense that I normally do to where I feel like I need to be inspirational and all of that. It wasn't that at all. It was, I felt like I, I was wishing I could help an elderly neighbor or I could go shopping for someone and drop their groceries off. It was more of that sense to where I felt helpless that I can't actively go out and help people. Um, but I think that was the biggest, the biggest thing. Yeah. Cause I feel like that's, that's what I, I've noticed from a lot of people that are used to that sort of lifestyle is not being able to do more, you know, mm -hmm. and especially, you know, I, you know, at our level, we're not, you know, medical professionals, especially when you have family that is doing that and, you know, right. want to thank them for that. It's just, I think there's such a contrast. Like I, there's times where I felt completely helpless and it's like, I'm being reached out for like fundraisers to cook and whatnot. I'm like, I feel like I should be doing more, but right. we didn't know, none of us knew what was happening. It was such yeah. a, yeah, no, that's, I mean, you are, truly a remarkable human being. I don't say that lightly. I actually 
rarely Thank compliment you. people. So <laughs> I really mean, <laughs> Thank I really, you. I appreciate I really that. mean that. Like I'm like so inspired. It's like, it's, I'm not even allowed to say that this is my favorite episode so far, but it really is. Oh, like, thank it's, you. It's like, you're so inspiring. I'm just like trying to understand how your brain works. And I, I wish that if everyone's brain works, worked the way yours did, we'd live in a much better world. I, I'd say oh, that right I really appreciate that. Thank you. And of I mean, course. I think this is like a perfect example where for me, this is my normal everyday life. And the way I'm speaking to you now is the way I speak on stage. It's the way I speak if I'm doing a big live interview or whatever it might be. And that's sort of a, a rule I set for myself from the beginning because I knew moving forward, I didn't know what my future was going to look like or if I was going to even be continuing to do what I did back then. But I my rule was if you're going to go out and you're going to talk to these people, you're not going to put on a different version of yourself because I knew eventually it was going to be too hard to keep up with. So this is the person I am. 24 seven, no matter who I'm talking to, whether I could be talking to like the biggest celebrity I met or whatever it might be, this is who I am. And I can't really pretend to be anything else. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I find a lot of people on this podcast specifically end up opening about things and saying, wow, I've never said that before ever. Yeah. And it's, I love when that happens, but mm -hmm. it is really nice to just seamlessly, like you're just so open and you seem like every, all the puzzle pieces seem so clear in your mind. Have they fall into place? You never have any sort of hesitation, but not in a rehearsed way. Cause you can tell when someone rehearses yeah. the same shit over and over again. Yeah. It just seems, you just seem so unbelievably authentic. And I really, I, you know, I admire you for that truly. Thank you. That's sort of my goal too, is just to make everyone sort of feel that way. And I think it's also been a part of me because when I would meet people, they don't know how to react they don't know who I am. They either think I'm breakable and will be super sensitive towards me, which I'm not at all super sensitive towards me or whatever it might be. And, and it's, it's always sort of in my mind, my job to make them feel as comfortable as I do. So it's sort of like, I've always laughed at my own situation or whatever it might be. So it's, it's just sort of what I do, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Keep doing what you do. And I really hope that we'll be able to do this in person at some point in the future. Whenever you're in LA or if I'm in Texas, I will let you know. Oh my gosh, I miss LA so much. I miss well, all my friends. Have a lovely rest of your day and I will Thank talk to you, you very, very soon. Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Of course. Bye. <laughs> Bye.